want you to listen to Hezekiah's words. The Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. You need to know that when he spoke those words, it was not a particularly great time in his life. The Lord had just told him through the prophet Isaiah that he was going to die, that he needed to make peace with everyone around him and get his affairs in order. That's a hard thing to hear. Now, God didn't tell him that he was going to die that day or the next day, but there was an urgency about it. Hezekiah, you're going to die. So Hezekiah cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responded. He added 15 years to his life. Through the prophet Isaiah, he told him that's exactly what he was going to do. He would add 15 years to his life. And then Hezekiah said these words, the Lord will save me. I want you to catch that he does not say, the Lord saved me. He said, the Lord will save me. There was great anticipation in what he said. And as a result of it, he goes on to say that we will worship in the presence of the Lord with stringed instruments in the temple all the days of our lives. Worship will be a result of what God is going to do for me. A lifetime of worship will follow. You listen to Beth and Ray both talk about that very thing a lifetime of worship. I asked them to share this morning from different perspectives, and I had no idea what they were going to say, and I was blessed to hear both of them because they have experienced a lifetime of worship in the temple of the Lord. As Beth would say sometimes, that was in the midst of great situations and circumstances, and other times they were difficult. She worshiped. Ray talked about the honesty that has been required for him to get to the point that he's at today, that he can say that he worships in the temple of the Lord all the days of his life. It really does require that type of honesty that both of them spoke about. But when we will share that with God, amazing things happen. I want to show you three of those things this morning. But let's start with this idea of honesty and worship. Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of John? Chapter 4, and I'm going to share with you just a couple of verses out of that. I gave you a few weeks ago some of the details of this story, so I don't want to rehash that. I just want you to know that Jesus met a lady out at a well in an unexpected, divinely appointed connection. Now, it would be unexpected to her. Nothing is unexpected to God, so the Lord knew exactly what was going to happen. This lady was at a dark point in her life as well. She was completely alone, completely by herself, no friends even to walk out into the woods with. She was completely alone, and there she met Jesus. Jesus would say this to her in chapter 4, verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What Jesus was trying to get across to her was that these two things must come together for real worship to happen, spirit and in truth. Now, the spirit side of that equation belongs to God. God provides everything that we need from his side. The truth side of that equation is up to us. And it requires radical honesty for us to really be able to connect with God in worship the way God wants us to. And I would offer to you the way we want to. Time is coming and it has now come because Jesus has come that we can worship that way in spirit and in truth. We just have to be honest. 
We have to tell God where we're at. Hezekiah did. Lord, I don't want to hear that from you. I don't want to hear that my life is over. And God responded. And Hezekiah said, as a result of that, I will worship in the temple of the Lord all the days of my life. Great honesty. I have met a a number of people through my life that have worshipped that same way. Their feet have been firmly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ and they have been able to worship in the temple of the Lord, in the presence of God, in His church, in spirit and in truth. And you can tell just watching them, not only here but other places, that what they're communicating to God is real. It's coming right out of their heart because they've been honest and truthful with the Lord about where they're at at different times, good and bad. I've also seen a number of people that have come to church because they have great needs in their life, but no understanding of who the Lord is. So they come to church, they come into the presence of God, expecting great things from Him. And I have watched a lot of those folks leave after a period of time. Some of them leave because God didn't respond to their needs the way they thought He should. So they gave up. They walked out. Others have left because God did respond to their needs. He gave them exactly what they needed. He gave them what they had asked for. He met the need in their life and they thought to themselves, well, everything's okay now. Now I don't need God. And they disappeared. You want to know the most tragic scenario out of that? It's the last one. It's not the people that leave because they don't think God cares about them. It's the people that leave because God has met their needs. They've never understood, not ever have they understood what Hezekiah was saying. The Lord will save me and I will worship in the temple of the Lord all the days of my life. They forgot that part of it. They just wanted something from the Lord. So that first group of people that we talked about, those that have worshipped in spirit and in truth with their feet firmly planted on the rock that is Jesus Christ are completely different than that last group of people who seem to have their feet stuck in sinking sand. The hymn writer would say it this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found. Clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. For those that have found that firm foundation, that solid foundation of Jesus Christ beneath them, and they have learned, as Hezekiah did, to worship in the temple of the Lord all the days of their life, then they have experienced, and I would I'd offer to you, almost every one of us has experienced a ground-shaking worship experience. The Bible shows us what that looks like. Go with me to the book of Acts, would you? Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Luke writes these words. He was the historian following the apostles around. So he's the record keeper in the book of Acts. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, 
We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Listen now. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all still here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now that's ground-shaking worship, earth-shaking worship that changes our circumstances. But there's some things that you need to see out of that. Let's begin with this. Paul and Silas, at the point of this worship service, were not in the temple of the Lord. They weren't even in the, the synagogue. They weren't in church. They were in prison. Sometimes when we adopt a lifetime of worship, worship happens in the most unexpected of places. They were in prison. This was not a good place. They didn't want to be there. You can bet your sweet bippy that they told God that. Now the Bible doesn't detail for us their conversation with him, but trust me on this. While they were locked up in the prison cell, they were saying to God, we don't want to be here. This is not where we would choose. You can imagine that their conversation would sound something along these lines. Lord, we cast that demon out of the annoying woman that was following us that you might be glorified. And this is what happens to us. They were honest, radically honest with God. And then they worshiped. And then the ground shook. You see, that's what happens. When we are radically honest with God and we tell him what's going on in our life and we worship. All the days of our life in the temple of the Lord, because he will save us, Hezekiah says. The ground can shake. It's amazing when it happens. It truly is. The ground can shake. What are you wrestling with in your life? What would you bring with you today? Are you lonely? Why not tell God about it and then worship? Are you financially scared? Why not tell God about it and then worship? Do you have broken relationships all around you, in front of you, behind you, beside you? Why not tell God about it and then worship? Is your marriage crumbling? Be honest with God. He already knows. And then worship. 
Are you carrying around a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and it is killing you? Tell God about it and then worship. Maybe, just maybe, you're living the dream right now. That's a wonderful thing. Tell God about it and then worship. In radical honesty, allow God to shake the ground beneath you. And worship brings that about. But I promise you, there's no truth in it until you're willing to be honest with God. So you may worship in a lot of spirit. You may say the right words. You may give glory and credit to God. But if you want this real ground-shaking worship, you better bring truth into the equation. Because without it, you're missing out. You're robbing yourself of all that is available to you in a relationship with the Lord. You be honest with God. Maybe you have to say, Lord, I don't know you. Maybe you have to say, I've never experienced you. I've never seen salvation like other people have seen salvation, and I am stuck in my sin. You be honest enough with God to say that to him, and he will break the chains that bind you. You be honest enough with God to tell him that and he'll open the prison doors that hold you. He will shake the ground around you. It requires that type of honesty. Spirit and truth do amazing things. Not only do they shake the ground, but they clear up our vision. Worship can actually help us see better. Now that sounds funny coming from a guy who has to have two different contacts in to stand up here in front of you. I have three sets of contact lenses. I have two that I wear all the time. If I'm driving around, just doing whatever, watching TV or, or just talking with you, I have a set of contacts for that. But to be up here on Sunday morning in order to read my Bible, I have to put in one that blurs my left eye. Now, that's just a goofy thing to try to get used to. So as I'm looking at you right now, I can see you out of my right eye, and you are just a fuzzy blob out of my left. But that allows me to read from my Bible. So when I tell you that it clears up our vision, that, that, you have to understand who's saying that to you. It clears up our vision. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn back to the left with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Now, this is an intensely private, personal time of worship. There were only four people present, Jesus and the three people that he invited, Peter, James, and John. The other nine apostles were left down at the bottom of the mountain. These three were invited to come with Jesus, and so they did. And what an amazing, ground-shaking experience it was for them. Drove them to their knees, the ground shook so much. Can you imagine what that was like? I've had people come to me and tell me about personal worship experiences that they've had, and they oftentimes will start out like this. You're not going to believe this, Phil. Nobody's going to believe this. And they share with me things that have happened when they have been in in times of intense worship. And I listen to it and think to myself, hey, I don't doubt you at all. I believe everything you're saying. Everything that you have just shared was real, and, and you got to experience that with the Lord. Now, sometimes... They would be better off to follow the advice of Jesus that he gives the apostles. Listen to this, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, 
Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Sometimes when we experience extremely personal, powerful times of worship, it was given to us by God and we need to just leave it there. We don't have to go tell a whole bunch of other people about it and we certainly don't have to listen to their doubts and their questions about it. Just keep it to yourself. That's exactly what Jesus was saying here. But when folks tell me that, I don't doubt it because look at this worship experience. There were nine other people that knew the Lord intimately that probably would have said that didn't happen. Peter, you're nuts. There's no way that happened. And then maybe if Peter shared all the details of the story, it would clear up a little bit for him. Did you catch what Peter did? They are looking at the face of Jesus. It's shining with the glory of the Lord. The Shekinah glory of God is visible to them. And Peter, because he is Peter, cannot stay quiet. Moses and Elijah show up, and there's a lot of scholars that would tell you that Moses and Elijah were both there because they would experience death exactly the same way Jesus would, Moses would, and Elijah was whisked out of this world in a whirlwind. Both of them would leave this world the same ways that Jesus would, so they were there to minister to him. I tend to be in that camp. I think that's why they were there. And so Peter says, hey, we need to build shelters for them. We need to build a shrine so that they can be elevated to the same place that you are, Jesus. Did you catch what happened? I love this. Listen to this one more time. You have to look at this critically to catch this or you'll skip right over it. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Celebrate Recovery, that is called crosstalk and it's not allowed. If you are in an open share group or a a small group setting and somebody is talking, no one is allowed to interrupt them and talk over the top of them. It's called crosstalk. And the leaders of those groups are instructed to keep that from happening, to always stop it. But in this particular situation, it's God who's doing the crosstalking and God trumps everybody. So even if Celebrate Recovery says you can't do this, this is a rule. If God does it, we better pay attention. And here's what God says. While Peter was still speaking, God interrupted. He said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Don't pay attention to Peter. Listen to Jesus. Pay attention to him. Beth Moore tells the story of her daughter who has as many words as Beth does. She got in trouble all the time at school for talking. Kyle, you maybe have had a few kids in your class like this. This little girl would interrupt the teacher all the time and and say all kinds of different things, sometimes wanting to take over the role of the teacher. And so she wrote a letter home to the little girl's parents. The letter said, very simply, she is a brilliant child, but she needs to let me do some of the teaching. So her mom and dad sat down with her, and Beth said, Honey, you just can't talk all the time in class. You've got to get quiet. Let the teacher talk. And the little girl looks back at her mom and says, Why should we be quiet when we can talk? It's pretty profound if you stop and think about it. And that's exactly what Peter was thinking. Why should we be quiet when we can talk? Because sometimes in worship, we just need to receive. We need to see God for who he is. Oh, we sing and we participate in worship, but sometimes, sometimes we just need to listen and hear what the Lord has to offer. And when we do, it will clear up our vision. Listen to this, verse 9, or verse 8. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. You realize that sometimes that's what worship does for us? Let's just take those that wrestle with bitterness and unforgiveness in their heart. They could walk into church thinking about everybody that has ever wronged them. 
They could walk into church counting all of the hurts that they have. But if they will be quiet and they will receive from the Lord what God has to offer, their vision will be cleared up and they'll see only Jesus. And that's what happened here. Real worship clears up our vision and allows us just to see Jesus. There are a number of people that will try to figure out how to make that happen, how to bring that about. That clear vision is oftentimes nothing more than an understanding of who God is. Let me show you this from the Old Testament so that it will make sense for you. Go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. This is one of the most detailed worship experiences in the Old Testament. There are a lot of worship experiences that are laid out for us in the the books of the Old Testament. This one just happens to have a lot of details. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. There are a number of times in worship that we believe that we're going to provide everything, that we can actually do enough that we will be in the presence of God. So we try in worship to create that all the time. I asked Deanie in first service what the highest peak is in the Cabinet Mountains. That is Snowy Peak? Snowshoe Peak. And we had some debate throughout the first service about how high that is. So we're just going to say it's 8,700 feet. I want you to imagine that you have it in your mind that you're going to go and meet with God. And in order to meet with God, you've got to climb to the highest point in Lincoln County. So you decide to go to Snowshoe Peak. You get to the base of it. You climb all the way to the top, a little bit winded, but you're there and you're ready to meet with God. That is still not high enough and you didn't do enough. God still has to descend. God has to come down. And you see, in worship, that's what happens. God invited Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses, you go as far as you can possibly go, and I'll come the rest of the way. That's what worship does when we accept the Lord's invitation. We go as high as we can possibly go, and God comes the rest of the way, and we get together in worship. You need to understand you can't provide it all. The church can't provide it all. Spirit and truth provides it because it's a means of inviting God to meet you where you're at. You invite God to meet you where you're at. And in clear vision, you ask him to show you just Jesus. Whatever is going on in your life, just let me see Jesus. I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to see anybody else. I just want to see Jesus. It's a great invitation from us, and the Lord responds to it all the time. In clear vision, we can see him for who he is. When that happens, something miraculous, remarkable takes place in our lives. We receive a new song. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, David says. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
David writes these words. Did you catch where he was at right before he wrote them? He was in a slimy pit. You ever been in a slimy pit? Most of us have. David was in a slimy pit, and he was waiting on God. Have you ever waited on God? I've waited on God. Have you ever tried to hurry God along, trying to get God to catch up with you so that God will start doing things on your timetable? Come on, Lord, get moving. I have. David did as well. So here he is, just lifted out of the pit, still has some of the slime on him. He's been waiting on God, and God has responded to him. And he says, God gave me something. He gave me a new song. It was a song of worship. When God gives us a new song, we begin to sing about him rather than ourselves. When God gives us a new song through clear vision, we're able to tell other people about Jesus. It happens in church on Sunday as we come together corporately. It happens individually in people's lives. Jeff Hoff is going to talk in just a minute about some of the other ways that we receive a new song, ways that inspire us in worship. But we have to know this, when God saves us, he gives us a new song. We learn how to sing it. Let me show you kind of an interesting passage from the book of Revelation. The book of Psalms talks about this new song. The book of Isaiah talks about this new song. The book of Revelation talks about it. Chapter 14, verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. There were only 144,000 that could sing this particular song because when that happened, they were the only redeemed ones left. They were the only ones that had received the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. They'd been redeemed by the Lord and they got a new song and they began to sing it. The same thing happens today. The redeemed began to sing of the Redeemer a new song. We sing it with our lives. We understand the old songs. We understand the things that we have participated in in for years and years and years that maybe were just a great mystery to us. It all gets cleared up because in worship we can see Jesus. In honesty, we can bring all of those things about and the Lord can shake the ground beneath us. But more than that, he opens up our mouth and he gives us a new song. It's one of salvation. It's a song that tells everybody about what we have received. It makes sense when you get back into the book of 2 Corinthians and you discover that the Apostle Paul teaches that until that moment, people walk around with a veil over their face. They're not able to see Jesus for who he is and nobody can see Jesus in them because that veil is there. But at the moment the veil is lifted, everything changes. And one of the things that changes the most dramatically is the song of your heart and the song of your life. It is the song of the amazing grace that has changed you. And for those that have received it, singing it is easy.